Yo, what's up, people? This is Tyler. This is Danny. And this is Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. This week will be Barbarian Sound Studio. Up front, not exactly sure what I'm going to say on this one. It's going to be interesting. Looking forward to it. But before we get there, we got shit to get to. Most notably, this Fried Squirms, we're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. (laughs) So we need to get in our green hits. Danny, what have I lit up and smoking in my hand right now? Okay, so I went by, no surprise here, but I went by Flower earlier in the week and picked up a new strain I haven't brought before. I don't think either one of us have brought. But with that being said, I brought a strain called Cap Junkie. And Ooh, sometimes it's also known fuck? as Miracle Mints. So with that being said, this is a cross of Cushmints and Alien Cookies that was brought to life by a couple of legends. One of them being JBZ from Sea Junkie and Capulator, who is the father of Mac. So they combine these two strains. It brings out a gassy, slightly fruity flavor profile. So with that being said, the most dominant terpenes in Cap Junkie are caryophyllene, myrcene, and pinene. And actually, over at Flower, limonene is one of the more prolific terpenes in their profile. Mm. So linalool is also one that shows up. Hence why it's a hybrid strain over there. So with that being said, the THC comes in around 29%. Terpenes are about 2%. Sweet. So I also went to flower, went this morning. Now, I think I've bought this before as just flower and like smoked it myself. But I don't know if I've ever brought it like in a J form for the pod. So this week is some double up mints. It is testing at like... 34% from Flowers Nuts. But Indica Dominant, it is a cross of some more mint strains, like yours, Sin Mint Cookies with Mint Chocolate Chip. Funny thing about Mint Chocolate Chip is that it is actually created from Sin Mint with Green Ribbon. Mm. So you're kind of doubling up the Sin Mint. Yeah, actually, I remember we talked about this. It's been a while, though, yeah. Right, I, I couldn't remember for sure or not, but... Well, you're right, I can't remember if it was in a J or <clears throat> flower form, but regardless, yeah. Not the most terp-heavy, but your tops are going to be myrcene, limonene, and caryophyllene. Nice. And it's supposed to be a little bit more of a, a hoppy, cinnamony taste. Oh, yeah. So, I'm not sure how much I necessarily got off of that, but... Yeah, I wasn't really paying attention, but... uh. I'll be thinking about it in the next few minutes. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I was just kind of impressed. Like, we've brought it up before. Pure THC percentage isn't necessarily the only thing to go on by any means. But it's also really interesting whenever we see one that high, especially from a place where we know they don't usually have that high. Right. It's usually what, like, upper teens is mid to the high 20s. Yeah. I'd say, like, yeah, low to mid-20s most of the time is what I'm picking up from. That's, yeah, average. Low to Mm mid-20s on average. Once again, it's not the only thing, but fuck, I was like, why not? No, this is awesome. Why not? Give it a shot. Especially, yeah. So, some double-up mints. Just as a reminder, go check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms. At the very lowest level, you could have got this last week which I know for certain because we got caught up and so I had to respace it out a week. So we're, we're back. At, if you're listening to this and you're not on Patreon, we're back ahead again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, that's actually a bonus now. Every once in a while shit fucks up. We get caught up. We'll always make sure that we're doing it right eventually. But sometimes we got to take a week <laughs> to be like, you know what? It's just going to be off for a week. It happens. It's life. Middle yeah. level, you get our, our Patreon-only episodes. Highest level, you get the Discord. You can hit us up. Patreon.com slash Fried Squirms. I, apparently, this weed's already doing the trick. I'm already starting to lose the fucking words to say. With that, I guess we'll just get into the guts and bolts and actually talk about this movie. Then I might actually have more to say of Barbarian Sound Studio. Guts and Bolts. All right, guts and bolts for Barbarian Sound Studio. Who and what went in the making of this movie? Spoiler-free. Start off with our spoiler-free setup. A quiet, mild-mannered Englishman is hired to be 
the sound engineer on an Italian horror movie. He doesn't take it well. That's the setup for this movie. I think that's about as good as you're going to get, right? <laughs> All right, so with that being said, of course, we'd like to talk about our cast and crew. And this week, we're going to lead off with our director and our writer on this. And this is Peter Strickland. Now, this gentleman, he's actually got some really cool works, of course. Starting off, his feature debut was Catalan Varga. He also helped on Bjork's Biophilia Live, which is really cool. He's the director of The Duke of Burgundy, the segment The Cobbler's Lot for The Field Guide to Evil. He's also the director of In Fabric. And a film I'm kind of curious about now, I've heard some good stuff about it, is Flux Gourmet. Hmm. All right, our cinematographer on this is Nicholas D. Noland. He's known for such things as Institute Benjamenta. It's got like a long... You know, subtitle after that. The Duke of Burgundy, England is Mine, and Stardust. Our, our editor on this is actually a gentleman we've talked about before. It's Chris Dickens. We talked about him way back. I can't believe how way back this is. Episode 115, we talked about Shaun of the Dead. Right. All right. Now, he's also known for Space, the television series from 99 through 2001. Seed of Chucky, the film Goal, The Dream Begins, Hot Fuzz, Slumdog Millionaire, Paul Les Miserables, and Rocket Man. All right, the music was composed by the band Broadcast. The special effects on this was done by Russia's Film and TV. They helped with the visual effects. This was produced by Mary Burke, Hans W. Geisendorfer, and Keith Griffiths. Production companies on this were a mouthful, so if you're curious, I'd suggest looking them up. All right, distributors on this were Artificial Eye. They helped with the 2012 UK DVD release. And IFC Midnight helped with the 2013 United States theatrical release. Had a couple different release dates, one of them being June 28th, 2012 at the Edinburgh International Film Festival in the UK and August 31st, 2012 in the UK. All right, it grossed about 312000 worldwide. I'm sure that's probably with some limited runs here and there. All right, so with that, I'm going to move into the cast of Barbarian Sound Studio. Now, the way this is, I'm going by Wikipedia's lineup. It's not necessarily the way the credits, you know, roll. But anywho, leading off with Toby Jones plays the role of Gilderoy. Don't know where you want to start with him. Shit. Son of Freddie Jones, better known as Thufir Hawat in 1984's Dune. I know, it's wild, <laughs> isn't it? So with that being said, um, I don't know. He was in the 1998 Les Miserables. He was also in such things as like Ever After and Finding Neverland. I think probably a lot of people, the generation below us, probably with, with uh, was it Harry Potter? Because he's Dobby, right? He's yeah. the voice for Dobby. Which is wild. Yeah, he's Dobby the House Elf in most of all the Harry Potter films. He's also uh, Aristides Silk in The Adventures of Tintin, Owl in Disney's Christopher Robin. He was also Claudius Templesmith in The Hunger Games. He's also Arnim Zola in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, films Captain America, The First Avenger, The Winter Soldier. He was also Mr. Eversol in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. He's been in a bunch of shit, man. He played uh, Alfred Hitchcock in the HBO television film The Girl, which is really neat. He's in a really good episode of Doctor Who called Amy's Choice. Yeah, so He plays uh, the Dream Master, the Dream Lord, something like that. Yeah, Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. He's actually a film I'd recommend, too. It's pretty clever. All right, so moving on, we've got Tonya Sitiropoulou. She is the secretary, Elena, in this film. Now, a few films of note from her. She was in Skyfall and Hercules, starring The Rock. All right, we have Susanna Capolero. She plays Veronica, who voices the accused witch. She was in Dark Shadows and In Fabric. We have Cosimo Fosco. He plays Francesco Coraggio, who is the producer. Uh, a few films of note from him. He's in Gone in 60 Seconds. He's in Dario Argento's The Card Player. He's also in Angels and Demons and the television series 30 Coins from 2020 through 21. All right, we've got Katalin Ladik. She voices the resurrected witch in this. Now, she's like a Hungarian poet. She does a lot of like mm. voice Kind of like what you see in this film. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she's known for that, which is really neat. All right, we have Antonio Mancino, plays the role of Giancarlo Santini, who is the director. He was in In Fabric and Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. 
Oh, no shit. Okay. Yeah. All right. We've got Fatma uh, Mohammed. She plays Sylvia as Teresa in the film. A few films of note from her. Mostly all of uh, Peter Strickland's films, Catalan Varga, The Duke of Burgundy. She was in the segment Cobbler's Lot and The Field Guide to Evil. In Fabric, in Flux Gourmet. We have uh, Chiara Dana. She plays the role of Lisa, also as Teresa. Few films of note from her. She was in the Duke of Burgundy, the film Native in Stars and Bones. We have Eugenia Caruso plays Claudia as Monica, who's also a screamer in the film. She was in the Duke of Burgundy, the film Youth in Fabric and The Witches. That was uh, the more modern version. Oh, right, right. Yeah. All right, we have Guido Adorni plays the role of Lorenzo, who was like the sound guy, one of the sound guys in the studio. Older gentleman. Running the cables. Uh, anyway, a few films of note from him. He was in Never Say Never Again in the film In Fabric. And last but not least, we have Susie Kendall, who is Gilderoy's mother. She's actually a special guest screamer in this. A few films of note. She was in a Christopher Lee film called Circus of Fear. She was in Desir with Love, Dario Argento's The Bird with Crystal Plumage, Torso in the film Spasmo. So rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should give our listeners some warnings, which are interesting in this film. Warnings for this film. I mean, it's predicated upon sound, so there might be some stuff that can, I don't know, push a little bit of your auditory limits, I suppose. Right. To go along with that, I guess, like, language. Yeah. I mean, there's some misogyny and stuff like that. There's some misogyny. There's Things some of that nature. talk of a sexual assault that yeah. happened, but what you don't see that? it happen. <laughs> yeah. You don't see it. Yeah. You don't see it. You don't see any violence in this movie, arguably. Yeah. Arguably. I guess there's maybe a 10-second sequence. Right, right, right. Yes. But even that's called in question. But you, but you still see it, regardless. This is a hard one to get... Yeah, not, there's I not mean, really it's, it's there's not many warnings to give for this one. Considering you don't see anything, I think we covered it. Really, I can't think of anything else. I feel like there should be something else, but there's not. It's just poor sound engineer. I know, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, this is gonna be interesting because uh, I have a few things to say. I don't know how much, mm-hmm. like you were saying, but I got a few things to say. Yeah, you know what? Let's get past this part then, and let's just get into actually talking about Barbarian Sound Studio as we find out how it made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, man, Barbarian Sound Studio. So you had seen this before, right? I I had, and man, I mean, without spoiling too much, without the first time I'd seen it, I can honestly say I probably wasn't paying as much attention as I thought especially on rewatch. So, um, yeah, it's been a little while since my first view. I want to say it was like two, probably like two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. First off, admittedly, I need to watch this movie at least one more time. I still feel like I missed something in there. The first time I watched it, the copy I had, the subtitles weren't working properly. Uh-huh. So the first time I watched this this weekend, I actually didn't have any of the Italian translation. Oh, no shit. So I was just as in the dark as Toby Jones is for most (laughs) of this movie. yeah. Which was an interesting way to watch this movie, but also made it really hard to follow some parts of it. Well, as my job is (laughs) one half of the Pride Squirms, I'm going to do my best to fill in the blanks. Now, this morning when I watched it, like, I had that issue sorted, right? So I did get a chance to... To get all of that info, but it's not the same as watching it all twice. I do kind of like the way I ended up watching it, considering part of his confusion in this movie is that he doesn't know most of the Italian going on around him. Right, there's a language barrier between he and the people he's working with, or for. So getting to experience this movie kind of in the same way his character is was an interesting... Like, I'm I'm glad I did that, even if it was accidentally. Yeah, it's just a... Happy coincidence. It's not a good way to help understand the movie, though. Well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. We'll, we'll test it. But, man, I don't know. This is a tough one, because I feel like at the end of the day, I'm going to come down more on the side of I appreciate this movie more than I like it. That's okay. But I there's no part of me that dislikes it, though. It's just... I also don't necessarily actively like most of it because honestly, most of this movie is 
a camera watching guys watching people in a sound booth. I mean, it really is. That's like 60% of this movie. Yeah, and that, that to me is where I knew that, like, for super casual viewers, man, they're going to be out so long ago on this film. And that's okay. Like, I get it. I think it caters a little bit to, to fans of this particular genre that it's paying homage to. Right. Being Giallo, which is pretty obvious. Well, I was going to say, I... That was the other thing I was kind of thinking of with this movie when I was trying to think of like, well, how much do I like it? And I'm like, well, who would I recommend this to? There's very few people you can actually recommend this to. Right. And that's where I'm like, I feel like I fit that category of people who appreciate this film because I appreciate that genre in general. So, right. If you have a love of giallos, not guaranteed you're going to like this movie, but but you're going to at least catch what they're doing. Right. I think it'll make more sense what this film is trying to capture. If you're just an in general, pretty deep film buff, mm-hmm. you're going to like this movie because of, I think a couple of reasons because like of how much technical merits, because of its technical merits. Yeah. And it is inventive without a doubt. And the other type of person you can recommend this movie to is anybody who is, just has a hard-on for analog recording devices mm. and everything having to do with that. Yeah, tape, real, real, all of it. Like, if that's your jam, you need to see this movie. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. Hard to argue. But there's not many other people you could recommend this movie no. to because... It's going to be confusing. It's boring as fuck. Yeah, it's going to be boring. It's going to be confusing. Like, what's the point? What's really happening? What's going on? That kind of shit. And it's understandable, but that's where I'm like, I found the cleverness in it. Yes. I don't think it's mainly, and it's not to sound like a snob or nothing like that, but it's like, it helps being that we do this every fucking week. And it helps, I think, seeing these and, and kind of reading in between the lines of what you're actually seeing and what's really going on, you know? And that's where I appreciate the sound, because I'm already a, a fan of sound design and mm-hmm. soundtracks. I know you like soundtracks too, that's the, without saying, but... That's where I'm like, this is kind of clever, man, because it's it's not what you're seeing, it's what you're hearing, and then you have to conjure up the images of what you think they're seeing, <laughs> you know. And it's like that takes um, it takes a little bit of thought, you know, when you're when you're writing like that and filming like that, and, and then trying to have a payoff and return, mm-hmm. you know. So it can go either way. It's mixed, and I understand that. It's okay. It's weird to say that I feel like the movie that has the most in common with this is one cut of the dead. Yeah. It you helps. know what I mean? No, it definitely does, because what you're seeing is a film in production, or in this case, like, post-production, and you're seeing all the sound being incorporated, the dubbing, the Foley work, all that stuff, you know? Just mixing in general. Right, and that can be boring for a lot of people, but, like, that's just one of the things I do enjoy about film, too, is, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff. And that's where I'm like, this is clever, man, because, you know, you're, we're following Gilderoy, and what he is expressing is probably what a lot of fans or, you know, people who don't like slashers and all that stuff probably have that reaction, like, ooh, uh, ooh. <laughs> I think it's interesting to see, too, like, later on in the film, where there's, like, this split, and you do see what he actually is used to working on. Right. So there's, like, juxtaposition, like... Oh, yeah, this is like two different worlds, literally two different worlds to him being in this Italian atmosphere and culture and, you know, going from the English side, you know, to like this where it's hyperviolence. Right. As we go in and talk about it, I'll rely on you a little bit more to fill in some of the more specific details. But just to throw out sort of a skeleton for this movie... My setup is almost the complete plot of this movie. Right, right. It's You're just dropped in this guy's world. He was hired to sound engineer the film, like you were saying. And as it goes on, he just starts having a worse and worse time of it. Yes. To the point where things start getting kind of surreal. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's start hard to tell what's reality and what isn't yeah, and what's actually going on. <laughs> it's like a... In a sense, it's interesting because we've done a you know a couple of giallos and some Italian horror. It reminds me a little bit like 
a little bit of Fulci when you enter those nightmare dreamscapes. Yes. You know? And I'm not saying it's on that level, of course, but I'm saying you can feel a little bit of that, like he's drifting into this dreamscape where his reality and the film are kind of meshing together because he, he feels like he's probably feels like he's trapped in this cycle. Mm-hmm. He wants to get paid. He feels isolated. He doesn't... <laughs> There's a language barrier we've already talked about. There's a cultural difference we've already talked about. And, you know, he's kind of stuck in a, a rock and a hard place, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, you can feel that that kind of loneliness and hopelessness feeling. He's just like this constant outsider. Absolutely. Now, I don't know if you, how much you got to do, like, outside of just watching the film. I, I happen to listen to... At least two interviews with okay. Peter Strickland. They weren't very long, but it gave me a little bit better insight because he talked a little bit more about his thought process. And he being that uh, his mother is Greek and his father is British, he said he has a little bit of feeling like if you work in certain parts of Europe, there are certain sentiments people have towards certain ethnicities and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he said he wanted to introduce that a little bit because some of the characters are from different countries, or at least it's implied, even though they speak Italian. Right. They're still, you know, like Hungarian and maybe Romanian and stuff like that. And what's her name is Greek. and Exactly. So he was interjecting a little bit of that, that isolationism. Even though you might speak the language, there's a cultural difference. There's still a certain attitude, and especially with women in this case, too. And they talked about it as like, it's not much and better. time period. Right. This is... Because it's th- also a period piece. Which I thought was neat mm-hmm. because in the title sequence, which I know we haven't talked about it yet, but once we do get to it, it does show that it was made in 76. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. Strapping right in that time period if you catch it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have to think about it a little bit in those terms, that time. And yeah, it's, it's interesting that you interject this Englishman into, uh, like I said, this Italian horror film. That he has no relation to whatsoever. And this isn't like bruiser, thuggy, like no. Cockney Englishman. This no. is your fucking set upon, <laughs> it's like, yeah, like uh, you born to be Jesus. middle management. <laughs> yeah, it, it reminds me of like a little bit of sugarcoating, like like Mary Poppins kind of characters. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just a very polite English gentleman. Probably likes his daily tea and all that good stuff. And yeah, he's... He's it's the kind totally of different. Englishman that hobbits were based on. <laughs> yeah. Dude. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he's a living hobbit. It's hard to argue, <laughs> you know, and he's just dropped in this scenario. And I, I like it because all it really does. And this is something we even talked about a little bit last week. I brought this up several times now, too, is to me, it, it peels back a little bit of the allure or the illusion, I should say, of the filmmaking process. So when you get to see how they're actually doing those sounds with, you know, watermelon and all this Mm -hmm. other fruits and vegetables and boiling water, you're like, oh, oh, that's actually what I'm hearing, you know, as opposed to like someone actually getting stabbed. And so I would hope when you watch this a little bit, it's like, hey, this helps cushion a little bit of that blow when you actually get to see people go in the studio and this is how it's done with the sound and how they're mixing it and all this other stuff. So there's a little bit of that layer to it as well. So this is getting kind of into it a little bit, but, and some of the things, there's not a lot of specific things to point out in this movie. I think at least for me, like there's obviously like certain plot events happen, certain things happen that drive things along and get more surreal (laughs) or less surreal at different points. But I just, what I appreciate about this movie is the overall handling of a lot of things. And one of the sort of psychological horror aspects of this movie, you don't see like any of Toby in like outside of the studio, really. No, like you don't see how he's going and then spending his evenings and like making dinner or something, but it's super easy to imagine how he is having to make the soundtrack to these horrific acts and he's doing it in all these foley ways, right? You know, like using the vegetables, doing, you know, all these awesome, neat foley tricks that have been (laughs) passed on through the generations and other people have, you know, made up their own versions and this or that, depending on what need is. It's, it's truly an art. Fucking foley artists are amazing. I love like it's getting really to watch cool. videos of the way they do shit behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, those days really neat. <clears throat> if you're already a sensitive person, 
think about how that could interject extra horror into your everyday life if you're doing that for your job and then have to go home and make dinner. Man, I know that would be like just replaying. Yeah. Like it triggers that response or whatever. Yeah. If you're already not having a good time with this, if they are already sensitive (laughs) to this, then you've suddenly just made all these mundane acts associated with yeah, this visual. I, I yeah, it, it's weird. Uh, I'm not weird, but it's it's an interesting way how you're tying a mundane act as chopping a vegetable or fruit or whatever you know for dinner, but because of the context of him working in this film, it conjures a different image because of what he's having to you know contextualize it with, <laughs> and it's like oh shit. And this movie never even explicitly says that. No, but you can. You but can, it's not a. It's not a hard stretch. We can you extract keep seeing that. these things over and over again, and thinking about like all they're doing is fucking yeah. dropping a melon. All they're doing is chopping a vegetable. You or, know, it also doesn't really imply, other than the letters that you see him receive from his mother, how much time has passed. Right. And so it could be <clears throat> days, weeks, months. Who knows. And that's another factor, too, I thought was interesting as well. You really don't know the passage of time. I don't know what Natrain led into that, but to back it up really quick, one of the things I appreciated straight off about this movie was the complete silence during the production credits. Yeah. It was a neat touch because it it just truly sets up how important sound is for the rest of the movie. I agree. He explained something I thought was interesting. When I say he, Peter Strickland... In his choice of what he did with Toby Jones, when he starts speaking Italian, he gets dubbed, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like, well, why would you do that? You know, in terms of this act and he's like, well, he said it was actually something that would, how it happened with like VHS films in the eighties and nineties that you would get, you know, a dubbed version of an Italian film or whatever Spanish film and whatever dub version you're listening to, it could be like, you know, we're listening to the English dub version of that film, but somewhere in it, it would switch to that actual, like, you you hear the Italian oh, speaking right. for a bit. And he said that's what he wanted to do in this film, is, like, just do that. I mean... As, like, an homage. Fuck, not just those days. I know that me and you have both uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, sailed the high seas enough for movies where sometimes you run into a low-quality upload oh, yeah. where some bullshit like that happens. It does happen. And it, I thought it was Even interesting. into the digital age. The, the, one of the guys that was interviewing Strickland, he talked about it, too. He's like, you know, it might have been something that distributors were doing. Is like, hey, this is like a promo mm. little reel, like a few <clears throat> seconds or whatever. To show that, yeah, we can do it in this, or this is what it would look like or sound like in your language or whatever. So I'm pretty sure there was some of that, which is interesting. You've mentioned it once. One of the most wonderful things in this movie is that it has an opening credit sequence that isn't an opening credit sequence for this movie. I know. Isn't that interesting? Like showing an opening credit sequence for the movie that they're making made my little meta dick hard. That's what I was actually looking up. Because I was like, ah, I, I was looking to see who actually did that. And when I was listening to the interview, Strickland brought it up. He said there was a guy named Julian House. And there's this is off of uh, intro-hyphen, that is, uk.com. You can find it underneath their, like, work, Barbarian Sound Studio titles, subheaders, and all that stuff. But a uh, little excerpt here. This is really neat. He said, uh, House was approached by Strickland to design posters and recording studio ephemera for art department use with his film Barbarian Sound Studio. He said, uh, Julian then suggested the idea of a credit sequence, which is what we got, right? He said he instantly knew what was needed for the film and often led the way, pushing the design aspect more in the direction it had to go in. He had the, uh, he had the idea of coming up with a fake title sequence for the film within the film, which I thought was brilliant. That's coming from Strickland. So broadcast, the band scored it. Like I said, it's another kind of meta thing that we're getting to see is, you know, we're getting to see the sound design. And then we're also like, this is it. This is all we get from the film that we're seeing them score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just that title sequence. So we have to derive everything image-wise, visually, just from that brief title sequence. And then everything else is what we're hearing from the actors, actresses, all the sound design and all that other stuff. So, Well, I mean, really, because that's 
where the movie starts. And we do kind of go through the entire movie. We do. We do. And I thought that was another clever thing because you're seeing how certain scenes for him sound-wise are setting up. Mm -hmm. They're storyboarded and stuff. Right, exactly. And I was like, that's another little clever touch because that's, uh, as much as it sounds like it would be fun, I'm sure that's a lot of fucking work, man. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I started questioning, like, would I really want to do that? It's like, I would have to have like a real passion for that. But that's why, you know, people who do it, they do it well. I, yo, somebody, I was at work the other day and they're like, oh man, what are you, what are you doing when you get home? And I was like, well, like I was, I was lazy as shit this weekend and I need to go home and finish editing a podcast. And they're like, oh yeah, some audio editing and shit. I'm like, yeah, just a little bit. Like, cause we've never made any bones about it. We yeah. edit these down a little bit. If you're an editor yourself, you've probably heard our edits. <laughs> you know what to listen for. Hopefully you casuals don't notice it, but you know, yeah, I'm sure well, we slip up every now and then. It, it happens. They're like, oh shit, you like you like doing that? And you make a pretty penny doing that. And I'm like, no, I don't like doing that. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, and I know I know how deep it goes and what it entails, and I definitely don't like doing that shit. It makes me appreciate people who do video editing that much more. So I'm like, man, what we're doing. See, I like video a little bit more. Yeah, no, I mean it would be fun to do, but I'm just saying it mm-hmm. I know there's a lot more that's into the effort that's what i'm getting at so that's what i'm saying that's why it makes me appreciate because i'm just listening you know for like certain things certain cues where we chop and condense mm-hmm. and all that other stuff but you're taking frames and <laughs> having to manipulate them that's it's a little different beast yeah but yeah the way they were asking though it was like oh so what you want to be an audio engineer and i'm like no <laughs> no <Nah>, no <nope, dude. laughs> nope, bro no i'm good i just want to make my shit sound the way I want it to sound. Yeah, and that's... And I don't need a lot of skill to do that. No, I think... You know, if you have an ear for certain things, you're able to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not that... It's really not that difficult. But otherwise, it's not my thing. No, it's it's not the most entertaining thing, but... Especially when you start looking... Well, I mean, I realize things are different now. We're out of the analog age for the most part. <laughs> yeah. We're doing a lot of this shit digitally. digitally. Oh, yeah. But... Like, looking at the type of shit that you have to do when you're doing this level of audio engineering that they're yeah. doing in this movie, that's not my bag. Maybe no. being one of the, like, assistants, one of the guys that's just doing Foley. Yeah, one of the uh, Massimos. Yeah, one of the Ma- <laughs> exactly. That would be cool. No, that would be dope as fuck. Like, I'd, all day long, I'd, I'd help with that. All they're telling me, but I just have to go, like, yeah, no. like, you just have to go set up a mic where they tell you to. Danny Tyler. Go do this shit, like, you know. <laughs> Yeah. That sounds great. Hell Being yeah. Toby Jones's role? No. No. Nope. 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 That's a job for Mr. Kirkley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, that's a big no for me. <laughs> that that ain't my passion. No, but that's what I'm saying. I appreciate people who mm-hmm. do that. And then once again, I also appreciate editors in general, you know, because, yeah, it, it takes a certain passion and dedication to, you know, A, be able to do that, let alone want to be able to do it. So you were able to pick up a bit more of the details because you've watched this movie correctly all three times that you've seen it, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. How closely does his psychological journey mirror the actual details we're given about the movie as we go through? Do you feel? I don't. Feel or is it well, more, or is it more just he breaks down more as the movie goes on? I think a little bit of, I think a little bit of both. I feel with the director having, a bit of a background in knowing giallos, right? Mm-hmm. And being that he's a, a director, I'm sure he studied the way that they actually do it, you know, technically a lot more than we do. So uh, with that being said, I feel like there's, like, for instance, there's certain little cut scenes that you see when they're, like, maybe cutting on the projector where you see the black glove, which is it's right out of giallos. Jeez, yeah. You know what I mean? So there's that. But it has nothing to do with giallo in that sense like there no. no one's killing anybody in that scene or there's not a, a killer he's just wearing a fucking black glove turn on a projector toby jones's breakdown in this felt a lot more akin to a field in england i was gonna say if i had to think of another film that made me think or feel like this that was the film that came to mind was a field in england because there are similarities there's a certain switch in terms of like psychosis or just like mental landscape too that you're entering. Mm-hmm. Cause in one film there's psychedelics and this one, it's kind of a break. It's like at a certain point in the movie, he becomes an unreliable narrator, but it's not apparent to the viewer when that occurs. I, I agree with that too. I don't know exactly where, but I do feel like what he's seeing because of he's not used to it. 
and the, probably the feeling he has, what well, we've already said at this point, where he's just feeling isolated and helpless and like, fuck, I'm stuck here. So I know I have to do it. Otherwise, they ain't giving me my money. Right. It's like, what else am I going to do? <laughs> you know, he ain't even asking for his pay. He's asking no. for his fucking plane ticket to be That's reimbursed. That's just like a stipend, essentially. Like, let me just pay me back my stipend for the fucking plane ride. Jesus. So, like, he may as well just be asking for his fucking parking to be validated. Right? <laughs> Can you check me in? Shit. So, yeah, I feel like because of those two, those outside things that we're not seeing, there's some of that, too. So, yeah, I, but we're at in the film. It's hard to say exactly. And, and I don't think there's anything. To, well, you know, what's interesting, too, is like there is a point where what we're reading in the note that his mom sending him mm-hmm. starts to get reframed in the film a little bit later on. Right. That was cool. That was really neat because I'm like, oh, see, I think if you're casually watching, it's like, why are they actually taking that and putting that in the film? I was like, I don't think so. I think he's just, that shit's leeching into the film because he's so, he's just stuck listening and he's not really, that's where his mm-hmm. mind's going. And so his, he probably feels like his life is, is a bit like that, you know? So it's leeching in and I don't think it's, you know, he's entering these weird dream states, probably having nightmares and shit, <laughs> you know? nightmare whatever so um yeah i don't know i don't know exactly where i would say in the film the other thing i like that they i might i might backtrack that okay yeah i might backtrack that because i i wrote down a couple i don't mean to cut you off i'm sorry oh no that's fine there was there was two lines i wrote down okay that i feel like help kind of set up the beginning and where it's going towards the end and it's from two different characters and they're both to gilderoy and the first one i have is when Gilderoy first enters the studio, he's met by Francesco, right? I mean, Elena, but Francesco in the studio. The guy says, a new world of sound awaits you, a new world that requires all your magic powers. And I'm like, okay, there's a little bit something there. You, you can read into it or you can just like, oh, this is this guy shooting the shit. But in the context of the film, there's a little bit something there. Like he's having to use something that, like I said, he's not used to this kind of stuff. We we get to see later on he was filming this or scoring this very English countryside documentary about, you know, this town. Anywho, later on, Santini, because of the way Gilderoy feels, he's like, you know, you're trying to escape. So what Francesco is telling me, he says, but after he feeds him the, the fruit, you know, he tells him, in my, my country, we eat the seed. He says, ah, oh, you were changed. I feel it. I feel like that you could say maybe be the moment where you start to see the descent. Mm. But I feel like, yeah, it was happening before that, but that's where you actually get to probably visually see that descent. Well, and I think part of the thing that's causing his descent, which isn't, like I said, I don't think it's something that's ever necessarily said in the text. It's more through the acting and how it wears on Toby Jones and just the importance of some of the scenes, I guess, Yeah, yeah. is as he starts to sort of lose his grip on reality, then that means as he continues to do the job, then it is emotionally and psychologically for him akin to, like, becoming a killer, basically. Yeah, there is a bit of that. And having to participate. Case in point, I think... We can both agree. Well, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think there, I think there's something to it in the scene where they have the actress who replaces the other actress who's doing Teresa. Mm-hmm. Sylvia does it earlier. Then there's Elisa that comes in and does it later. But the one she can't scream, save her fucking life. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Francesco, oh, yeah, that, that's the ultimate bit where he truly becomes at, a, a right. participant at the end. At that point, it's because yeah, I mean he's. You can see that, and to me, that's like the ultimate break, if you will. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's that's when not he, necessarily the point of no return, but that's where he's gone over the edge or mm-hmm. broke that or crossed that line. You know, whether or not he can return, not for right, us to that's say exactly. I can't say that, but in the moment, he even knows it too. Like, I think that's why there's that long pause after that sequence, and then it cuts, and then you know, be going to the next scene. I was like, that's okay. Thinking about it now, it's like, yeah, he was, he knew. Mm-hmm. He knew too. Even probably in that brief moment, he's like, "Yeah, I'm fucking whoa." <laughs> when I think normally wouldn't do that, it's almost a little heavy-handed. But I feel like they need to set it up this early so that you're thinking about it because of how 
fucking artsy of a movie. Yeah. This, I want to say like this is a super artsy movie and part of the reason it works as well as it does is because they're not afraid to go a touch heavy-handed early mm-hmm. so that it's in your head so that you're thinking about these things. Yeah as you go through the movie rather than having to reflect back on them later. And what I'm thinking of in particular is when he has to do the chainsaw sound effect and <laughs> yeah. he ends up with the no, red on no, it. I think, you know, it, it made me think of Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. He's got enough. red on Yeah. Him. It's like, you got red on you. <laughs> but yeah, there is a little bit of that probably too. Like, Oh, it's a little heavy handed. Like, right, okay, right, he's yeah. got blood on him. He participated in this act. Yes, Absolutely. But it's early enough in the movie that it's like, oh, it's just him doing his job. But now it's in your head. Uh-huh. And as he goes forward into the movie, you start to understand how he's feeling like a participant. Well, too, I think the slow degradation we get to see of the fruit and the vegetables and stuff, too, like the rot, mm-hmm. you know, the decay. Probably a little bit of, of him feeling that, like probably a little bit of his soul's <laughs> getting sucked out of him. It's just funny to say in a sense. I mean, not really, but it, it's funny because it's like, you're just corn a horror film, dude. It's it's yeah. just a movie. Which even gets said to him. <laughs> right. Like, let's be fair. The movie even tells him, like, bro, like, you're seeing how the sausage is made. Exactly. He's like, what are you doing? Yeah. He's like, this is your job. But at the same I point, mean, like, we it, also, like he's we said, it's, he doesn't, it's, yeah, it's not his world. It's, it's, it's not just that he's not a fan. Like we said, he's yeah. this in a spot where he's a consistent well, outsider. Yeah. Exactly. Having to deal it, with this You know, stuff. that's that's the more pressing issue the more pertinent issues yeah 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 it's not that not he's just... forced but he's stuck in that situation mm-hmm. what else can he do <laughs> there's the consistent giallo imagery throughout yeah. it i also think the fact that the director keeps casting using his dick is very much just a nod <laughs> wow. to the sexual nature of giallos wow. we've i think we've brushed up on, up on that too now and i'm not trying to call it names it's pretty obvious too but there's certain directors like when you watch the films, you know it's going to be sexy time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it just is what it is. It's it's the past. Well, I can't change it. We the other thing it. is most giallos have at least a psychosexual nature to them. Absolutely. That's usually the catalyst in most cases. And I don't think it's exact. And I'm curious your thoughts because you have watched a lot more giallos than me. But I feel like they did the best they could to make sure that like a sexual aspect was in this movie even though yeah. it really doesn't make sense to go into it as far as most giallos do. What we were just saying, if you're already familiar, it's pretty obvious, <laughs> you know, but if you're not, you're like, why, why, why are you doing this? That sexist is like, well, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's kindly the whole point. Why does this guy keep preying on women? Hello. Because it's a giallo. Right. But it's not. Right. Exactly. So that's another thing, too. It, it helps give you as an audience a little bit more of a look behind the scenes than you normally would get because for the most case i feel like most audience viewers just watch the film right they don't think mm-hmm. of all the stuff that went into the the acting and the writing and all that other stuff it's just what you see on the screen and that's it that's just what you take it at face value and you read it literally for the most part but yeah this is the other side where i i'm a fan like, I like all this technical shit and all the other stuff that gets involved in it. I thought it was really neat how in a movie where sound is so important that's modeled off of the way sound is used in giallos with the, the use of leitmotifs and different themes and yeah. even particular bands and, and such <laughs> in the era, yeah. that the closest equivalent that we have to the Suspiria theme to put it in shorthand <laughs> is a visual and it's a flashing silencio sign. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Isn't it? It's a neat yeah. way to sort of invert it. Yeah. Where instead of you're seeing all these visuals and they're carrying you along the story and you have this thing underneath punctuating different scenes using that's a neat. specific late motif, it's, the sound is carrying you along the story. Absolutely. And you have this recurring a visual leitmotif that's sort of bringing in this ominous No, I, I think that's really interesting. Like I said, there's, like you were saying, these motifs, you can't help but notice. It's, I think that's why it's, for somebody pretty obviously in Strickland who's a fan or, you know, has an appreciation for giallos. And um, just coincidentally, like I said, just... <laughs> 
one of those things way back when, when I was collecting DVDs for the first time, is like just stumbling across some of this stuff. Like I didn't have a background in it. Mm-hmm. Just happened to be like, okay, let me, this looks interesting. <laughs> well, that's a <laughs> fucked up title. You know, yeah, I'm like, exactly. Like, okay. Um, Short Night of Glass Dolls. Okay. <laughs> Case of the Bloody up? Iris. Oh, all right. <laughs> let me see. And, you know, I'm Your like, okay. Your vice is a locked door and only I have the key. Right. <laughs> and for the most part, it's like, they're true to an extent, at least the early ones with the true crime detective story kind of element to it, you know? So, you know, it's, it's not hard to follow, you know, it's kind of who done it, who did mm-hmm. it, you know, that kind of shit. But I have an appreciation because there's other stuff that's going on too. Like the score for one is like, holy shit. <laughs> Where, what? <laughs> and that's what really got me interested. It's because like I said, I'm, I'm a fan of music in general and it doesn't hurt when a, Film has a really good sound track or sound design. Right. And uh, this is what this film is. I mean, that's, like I said, it's predicated upon sound. Now, we keep saying Jalo, Jalo, Jalo. Yeah. We've explained what those are a bunch in the past, <laughs> yeah, right. but there is something I want to bring up, and that's the film that's being filmed isn't much of a Jalo. No, 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 no. It's it, a fucking witchy. It, it's supposed to be, uh, quote unquote, a time period piece about, yeah, witches. and So you would imagine it's more of a, a witch finder type piece. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Not necessarily in the English style. No, 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 no. I would no. imagine. That, I mean, once again, this is. Uh, I would imagine that this would be more in tune with like Jess Franco. Yes, I didn't want to say names earlier about Sexy Tom, but yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's the feeling I was getting from this movie. Um, is like this is Jess Franco's uh, hexen fucking yeah or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. And. You're not far off base because there's a couple of those people in films that conjured up those images. Like, if it was more modern, who would I like to cast? But it's like, that's not the point. It's like, your mind goes to where you want it to go based off those sounds and their screams and all this other stuff. You kind of know what's going on, but Mm -hmm. that's the fun part. So it's also neat that it's getting to weirdly cross genres like that as well. They're using sounds from... (laughs) essentially a folk horror yeah, to exactly. drive the madness of a psychological horror that's structured like a giallo. Yeah. So yeah, or blending. peppered with giallo. No, references. you are, you are, you're blending like these little, these sub genres, which I'm all a fan of all of those folk mm-hmm. horror, Love it. That's why we mentioned a film in England. I mean, kind of just the Italian. I mean, the Italians aren't limited no. to only giallos and no, you could argue that this not. definitely has like, <sighs> Oh, well, you Black said, Sunday, right? Right. There's Black Sunday. I mean, Sabbath in general, witches mm-hmm. in general. I mean, they're not the only culture, but I mean, it, it happens to be Italian. Yeah, those those movies were definitely happening over at the time. We've talked about it's some of them. It's not off-base, dude. You know no. what I mean? Like, it's just that, like you said, the black glove. Yes. Like, very specific things are happening that are also... Right. And then, yeah, holy shit, right there towards the end, in his dream sequence, you see the femme fatale come and try to mm-hmm. attack him. The dubbing of him waking up out of sleep to a doorbell ringing. If you've seen an Argento film, you're going to see that. The eyeball and shit like mm-hmm. that, too. So, come on. Come on. <laughs> come on. But that's that's part of the genius of this yes. movie, is the way yeah, that yeah. it's blending all of those. And, like I said, that's why I enjoy that, man. And then seeing some of the performances, like, in particular, uh, Catalin Laddick, who does, like, the resurrected witch. You know, like, what is she doing? And they're like, oh, wait a minute. The thing I liked about it was when she started shrieking and then it, it distorted into the sound. I'm like, what? That, that was, was cool. That's actually, I don't, I barely have any notes down for this movie. That's one of the notes I made, but it's partially because it reminded me of something else as well. Yeah, and I'm yeah. wondering if it did for you. Mother Fireflies freak out. Oh, dude. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. It's like, you see stuff like that and you're like, okay, it might look weird on screen, but. You also have to imagine, like, no, they're in that character performing, and you got people behind the scenes having to film that as well. So, the you goblin? Know, dude, that dude killed it. I'm like, yeah, it looks goofy, but he, oh, he fucking nailed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look like, goofy as fuck. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It looked goofy as shit, but he got into it, and it started making me think, all right, he's doing that in the booth, but what does it look like on screen? And I can imagine a goblin character going through that, and... <laughs> You know, thinking about it along with the witches, it's like, that would be spooky as fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So that's why I said it made me appreciate that kind of stuff. Because 
a lot of these people who, who do the, the voice acting aspect of it are in a lot of ways kind of unsung heroes, you know? Like, not everybody appreciates it, but I can appreciate it. I feel like the ending of this movie could disappoint a lot of people. Yeah. I kind of like that they chose to end it once he crosses the line. Yeah, it, it leaves it very ambiguous on, yeah, which way this character is going. But I don't think necessarily that's the most important part, like the future tense. Mm-hmm. It's more like, what, just in the present tense, what, what, what is happening to him right now? That's what this film is about. Like, what is happening as we're following his journey at the studio? I think that's, that's the more important aspect of it. At the beginning of all this, when I mentioned, like, I just appreciate how inventive it is in general. Yeah. I think specifically the scene I think of is his first major break at the beginning of the third act. Yeah. There's some good stuff in this. The Um, way that was all edited together is one of the neatest ways I've seen a character move across the screen. it's, It's really cool. It's interesting, man. Like, yeah, seeing that. And then the thing I think confused me probably the first time I watched this film, thinking about it now, is the real cut of him being in his giallo of a nightmare Mm -hmm. to seeing the countryside stuff. Right. And the narration and just the the kind of tranquility and peacefulness of it and the tenderness. (laughs) You're like, this is like, no wonder this guy's having this fucking break. This Mm -hmm. is what he did previous. And... It's such a far departure, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, it gives a little bit more understanding of that. And also to add to that, when he, I'm sure he's in the studio, right? Where he's got the leaves on the ground and oh yeah, Sylvia comes in. I was like, I like that shot too, because it's setting up a little bit like a giallo. Mm-hmm. But all she's doing is like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? But he's also playing. Like, this play, reminds me of he's home. playing. Power yeah, cuts remind you of home. He's playing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Silly ass. But and I was like, well, he's also playing sound from the countryside that he grew up in. And then when he's reading a letter at the beginning of the film, he puts on a tape, probably to emulate his home environment mm-hmm. to make him feel more at home. Because yeah, he's not at home to put it tenderly. So I was like, that's actually another interesting thing about this film is. He's also incorporating sounds to make him feel at home. Make, uh, but then there's that deterioration, of course. So there's little clever things like that. It's a nice little touch, I think. It's weird because... It's, it's not for everybody. Yeah. I understand that completely. I liked the scene, the power cut. Yeah, no, that's he's really astounding cool. everyone with just like his I little like foley old, tricks. Yeah, exactly. And, and they even mentioned, it's like, yeah, he does this for children's programs. But in a way, it's kind of like what you mentioned at the beginning when the guy refers to what he does as his magic. Because it's, and they've been listening to like this mm-hmm. witch. <laughs> I know, right? This witch movie. Yeah. And now he's has all of these powerful people that have been lording over him, sort of in the palm of his hand for a minute and a half because he knows how to. Doing a little parlor trick for his, probably to him. Mm-hmm. But to them, but it's, it's magic. magic. Exactly. And but then it's like, that is. I think as a like a fan of film in general, that's where in the magic of filmmaking lies mm-hmm. is not knowing that stuff. Yeah, there's there's a you know an innocence to it, but you know for me at least, it went beyond that. Like, yeah, I've always liked film, but now I can appreciate film. There's a difference, at least in my view of it. You know, it's like. There's a lot of films I like. I might not like them technically, but I like them because they're stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I like that shit, but stuff like that, you know. Basically, if you want a mood pairing with this movie, go with A Field in England. Yeah. If you want a technical pairing with this movie, go with One Cut of the Dead. Yes. I, man, that's that's a really, cl- I think, clever way of looking at it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, man, it's hard to argue that because both those films are very good companion pieces as a trifecta. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because you cannot compare no Field no. in England to One Cut of the Dead. <laughs> no, but there's a certain there's a certain aspect to it. I think filmmaking wise, that I think people who, like I said, who are fans and probably critics and you know whatnot, can see that. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to see what this creates, it's the Beyond, dude. 
you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, no, there's a little bit of that in there. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I'm saying with some of the Fulci stuff with the, the nightmare dreamscape, you know? He ratchets it up, of course, but... <laughs> yeah, if you, if you want to see the psychological horror oh. version of this that doesn't go behind the scenes... You know, interestingly enough, another thing that it reminded me of a little bit was cigarette burns. Mm. You know, like, if this were a full-length Masters of Horror episode... This will probably be like one of the longer episodes because there's that time where it felt like a little bit like that. But yeah. I think it was intentional too, like mm-hmm. some of the uh, quality, if you will, I guess. But I enjoyed it. But like I said, I know it's not for everybody. And it's not a, a sly. I'm just saying it's like it's a very ambiguous film in terms of the meaning. Like, what am I watching? What's happening? That kind of stuff. Where, what is going on with this character? What's the plot? There are very few people I can think of that I could recommend. This right, to. right. It's like that is exactly. Like I want to recommend it to Patrick. Yes, I've talked to him about it. And it's like I think he would enjoy it because of the way this film is presented. Right, but I think he's also going to agree that it's kind of boring. Right, and I could. I'm like, and I'm I, not going to argue with you that. And I'm like, can't argue. No, sixty percent of this movie is a camera trained at guys looking at other people in a booth. Right, and it's like, you know what, it's it's not like a super complicated film. It's really not. It's just, it's, it's just a really cool, interesting meta film mm-hmm. in that sense. So yeah, it's like, because you said it's so layered, it's it's mixing genre, subgenre, and that's clever too. Yeah. Mostly with sound. Yeah, mostly with sound. <laughs> it's like shit. Well, you know, what it, what it did for me is it unlocked a little bit of like that core memory of Listening to uh, like um, some of the, the early soundtracks with Goblin, you know, we talked about Fabio Fritzi, and mm-hmm. like for me, I like Ennio Morricone and Bruno Nicolai and people like that. So I was like, oh man, there's some really good shit. Resort Lonnie. Yeah, I mean, there's some dope shit, man. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend people who are interested, like, check out some, literally, check out some soundtracks from this subgenre because there's some bangers, man. Yeah. <laughs> Holy <absolutely>. shit. Absolutely. <laughs> Ooh, and always used to fantastic effect in those movies. Without a doubt, you know, and, and I think that adds to the brilliance of it, too, that sound design. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, I don't know who else I'm going to recommend it to, though. No, like, so like I, it's legit. We, we've talked about it. Those things that we listed off in the beginning, if you're into that shit, watch this movie. Yeah. Otherwise, like, it's basically probably not if you're a casual, it. you're not going to like this. No, that's Once again, I don't mean it's, casual in a mean way. It's no, just sometimes it, you don't have the time or the want. That's life. what I'm saying. It, it's not a slight. It's just... It's centered towards a certain audience, and that's a given. And it's like either you're a fan or you're not, and that's okay. That's if super okay. The Conjuring's in your top three. This is not the movie. <laughs> but if it is, I want to hear you out. Yeah, like, really. for real. Like, I'm interested because that is such a diverse <laughs> top three. Holy shit. Yeah, I wonder what your your third one is in that, if that's right? the case. Yeah, holy cow. So... Regardless, I think that's the fun of also being a fan of horror in general. It's like, it can go all over the fucking place. Yeah. So this this made us think of a, a way we could continue the block. Yeah. And I'm whew, I'm excited. There's some good ones in this. So I'm not going to give them all away yet. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that the next movie that we're going to do is also sound-focused. Mm-hmm. And we are going to be checking out Rob Zombie's Lords of Salem. Now, we've talked about... Divisive, <laughs> not just the film, but the director. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, regardless, we, here's the thing. I know we've talked about this a lot. We love Rob. There's not going to be much other Rob that we're going to cover after this movie. Not major films, no, not wise. Because I have no plans in getting into Rob Zombie's Halloween on here. No, thirty. I mean, we could maybe eventually do it, but yeah, I. <laughs> Don't see any I guess need I'm to. I'm not in a huge rush, considering no, we just come off the back mode of a. I feel no need to, no. at all, anywhere in my bones. No, okay, I'm okay. We'll leave it. We'll leave it where it's at right now. We don't really need to do Haunted World of El Super Beast, though. <laughs> not right now. No. Thirty one was fine. Yeah, it was fine, but thematically, I think, uh, yeah, Lords of Salem. Lords of Salem. Fits right in. And then we we have the plan for the next one. You guys are going to have to listen next week to find out what that is. (laughs) This time I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Out.
Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, we highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Uh, scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace. <laughs>